Are you or someone you love struggling with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, self-harm, raging ups and downs, or thoughts of suicide? Are these behaviors affecting all aspects of your life, including the relationships with those you love the most? Are you feeling hopeless and desperate for long-lasting peace and relief from your irrational behavior, but feel like the therapies you've tried have just become a short-term band-aid? I have. I've been there, and I know how you're feeling. From relationship pain and personal shame, I've been through it all. And because I've been there, I also know how difficult it can be to climb the mental wellness mountain on your own. That's why I started White Rock Mental Fitness. At White Rock Mental Fitness, you'll get personal training from someone who knows, from personal experience, how to deal with your mental health challenges. How? Just like a personal trainer helps you lose physical weight and get your body in shape, I help my clients lose mental weight and get their minds in shape, and I teach you what you need to know to stay in shape. Unlike expensive coaches and therapists, we offer affordable, customized, personal mental fitness training to guide you through the process of overcoming your specific mental health struggles. If you're ready to get happy and stay happy, visit whiterockmentalfitness.com where we help you go from barely hanging on to superhero strong. That's whiterockmentalfitness.com. Hey there, everybody. From beautiful Cardston, Alberta, Canada, my name is Dave Miller, and welcome back to the Mentally Ill Mentor podcast, where we discuss the secrets of how you or someone you love can begin winning the battle with depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, and all kinds of other wonderful mental health challenges that we don't we all just love to deal with those. And can I just tell you, I love you. Thank you so much for being here with me today. And I just have to tell you, after my own personal battle of over 20 years dealing with anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, and more, I am now on an all-out mission to guide you and as many other people as I can into creating a life of lasting hope, joy, and purpose. And I'm telling you this not because I'm totally like over it myself, but when I compare myself to how I used to be 20 years ago and to some of the things that I've gone through, life's a lot better. I've learned a few things and uh, I want to share those with you. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. Well, today we want to talk about this phrase. Have you ever heard, I actually saw this, the last place I saw it would have been, must have been like 10 years ago, up on the fridge at a friend's house. And it was one of those little square fridge magnets and just made me laugh. And on the fridge magnet, it said, whatever the question, the answer is chocolate. (laughs) I got a kick out of that because... I kind of like chocolate. I kind of like sugar. And today, um, we're going to talk about 
that relationship with sugar that a lot of us have. And I'm guessing that you may be able to relate to kind of the love affair that I have had with sugar in my life. It's one of those enticing things that's hard to let go, but it's so crucial for good mental health. And a lot of times what can happen is the way that it affects your mental health can really be damaging to our most cherished relationships because of this negative effect that it has. So if you can relate to me, if your mental health is not where you want it to be, or maybe it's the mental health of a loved one, come with me while we take a deep dive into our love of sugar and how to deal with it in a healthy, balanced way. Okay, we're not talking about in this podcast, just like cutting you off 100% and that type of thing. That's, I don't think that's going to accomplish anything. And in the long run, could be worse than what you're dealing with right now. Okay, so we're going to get into that pretty quick. But before we do, I just want to do a review of our homework. So last week, we talked about Dr. Margaret Rutherford and the phrase that she's coined, PhD. And I think she has her PhD. Um, but uh, what she's referring to is perfectly hidden depression. If you struggle with perfectly hidden depression, or even depression at all, that you need to kind of share with people, if you're dealing with these thoughts of suicide, review from last week, we talked about your homework was to take out a journal and to commit to do three things. And if you haven't done them, I really encourage you to do them this week, like as soon as you're done this podcast or press stop and do them now. These are really important if you're struggling with deep depression or even mild depression and especially thoughts of suicide. Number one, write the name of a trusted person that you can tell in this journal. You want to write the name down. The reason you want to do this and follow through with telling that person is so that you can unburden yourself. And we talked about that a lot last week, so I'm not going to get into it in a big way. Number two, commit to a 30-day meditation challenge. So why is this so important? Well, meditating will work to lessen the intensity of your suicidal thoughts. And the best thing is, like the great thing is you don't even have to believe it will work. You might be like I used to be, and you might think, oh my goodness, meditation. Okay, I sit cross-legged, which I'm not actually flexible enough to do anyways. I hold my fingers, two fingers, you know, like my thumb and my pointer finger or whatever together. I cross my legs, I get a few candles going, I breathe in and out, and poof, magically, I'm supposed to be cured of, you know, my mental health challenges. That's kind of what I used to think, and that I was too, maybe, manly, or too busy, or whatever it was, to slow down and meditate. Dumb idea on my part, because the biggest regret that I have about meditation is that I didn't start doing it 20 plus years ago. It would have saved me years of heartache. How do I know? Because I started getting into meditation many months ago 
And as I've done this, I have found an incredible thing. The mental weight that I didn't even realize I was carrying began to melt off me, very similar to what I've talked about with Amy, my beautiful wife of over 25 years, and how she entered a weight loss program and her weight, she lost 100 pounds and her weight began to melt off her and her I wouldn't say that her personality changed, but her ability to cope with the normal things in life became much greater because she wasn't carrying around this extra weight all the time. If you are struggling with mental health challenges, depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, it's because you're carrying around this unseen mental weight. And it's like you're climbing the mountain of life and you got this extra weight, and you're going, oh, oh boy, this is hard, and it is hard. And thoughts of suicide are kind of like, I don't want to climb this mountain anymore. This is too difficult. This stinks. So, emotionally, the secret to beginning to shed that mental weight is to commit to a 30-day meditation challenge. Find something you love, get into meditating. You just start with five minutes a day and poof, it will seem like magic. And within two or three weeks, your thoughts of suicide will lessen in their intensity and their frequency. Okay, number three. In this journal, you want to brainstorm your purpose. Leading a life without purpose is kind of like a ship without a rudder. It's like, okay, got this great big ocean. Don't really know where I want to go. Let's just put on the engine and go. But it's kind of depressing. If you were on a cruise, it would kind of be weird to not know what your destination was going to be. And so that, and that's the exciting part, right? We're going on a cruise too whatever destination. If all you were doing is sitting on the water and you didn't really know where exactly you were going, you'd have no opportunity to anticipate, to prepare, and to really get yourself mentally in a place where you could be excited about that cruise. There's no certainty. That's what you need to do with your life is to figure out your destination. Think back to being a kid. You know, what was it that brought you um, joy and happiness and you know what did you love doing and what do you love doing now as an adult if you're at that stage of your life you may still be maybe a teenager if you're listening to this um, you can even think to yourself when I do blank time seems to stand still if you can find out what that is that's going to be related to your purpose and if you can find your purpose, you're a long ways to figuring out how to have better mental health and how to overcome your depression, anxiety, and thoughts of suicide. Okay, let's get back to chocolate. Okay, that was a good review. So today, like I said, we really want to talk about this whole relationship. <sighs> Our relationship with sugar. For me in my life, this has been a real love-hate relationship. 
and oftentimes a love affair type of relationship. It's like, it's hard to let this stuff go because it tastes so darn good. Can you relate? I think you probably can. So I want to tell you a little bit about my true story. And again, we'll see see in your own mind, I guess. Think in your own mind if you can relate to what I'm saying here. So I have found that many times it's kind of weird, but Christmas time will come. So we're like, what, kids get out of school, yeah, maybe December 15th, something like that. And then we start gearing up for Christmas. I mean, we're gearing up into November, Thanksgiving time, that kind of thing. But as we get closer and closer, the weirdest thing has happened to me a lot of times. I find that it's, I go into some sort of a weird phase. And I've wondered, is this just kind of like a mental health cycle that I'm going through? Um, and I've asked myself, okay, why is it that around Christmas time, that's supposed to be the, you know, quote unquote, you know, the most, ha- the happiest time of year, that oftentimes I feel kind of the opposite of happy. And so I've really examined that and I've been able to determine a few things. I think a lot of it uh, for me has to do with financial pressure, right? You got to buy a bunch of presents and, uh, although theoretically, uh, we know it's you know a brilliant thing to do to save this Christmas money throughout the year, but the reality is most of us don't do that. We wait until we need to buy the Christmas presents, and then we buy them. But we may not have planned that out in our budget. So guilty right here, we do that. Um, and I think the other thing, another pressure that I've thought of, is um, as I've examined, okay, why am I feeling this way at Christmas time? Well, maybe it's because, you know, you kind of worry about, you buy these gifts and is the person I'm giving them to going to really be happy about what I'm giving them? And there's these expectations and all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And I'm wondering to myself, Christmas time seems to be this cycle, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression at work and whatever. And even thinking back to this Christmas time, I have been meditating. I feel like I'm pretty darn good at it now. I've been doing it for a while. And I kind of thought, you know, I think I'm maybe kind of bulletproof. I've been building this mental muscle, shedding this mental weight. I'm going up the mountain. and Things are going good. I can do this. And then Christmas time came. And it's like, this is not the happiest time of the year for me. (sighs) These mental health issues are still there. So I really thought about it hard. What on earth is going on? Yes, all these factors are there. But what is really at the root level going on? And... What put me over the edge? How did I go from having this mental muscle and shedding this mental weight? And now I'm either gaining that or maybe the mountain's just getting a little steeper. The trail on the mountain is just becoming a little steeper. Christmas time, kids home from school. We love them, but it's a little more stress to have the kids home all the time and all these other factors. Comes down to sugar. Sounds like a weird thing, 
But sugar has the effect of kind of detracting, I guess, if you want to put it that way, from those things which you may be doing that are very positive and great, but it has the effect of detracting from this positive effect of those other things. It really is like this incline on this mountain that we're climbing. It's like the trail all of a sudden becomes a lot steeper. So for me, and again, you may be able to relate, relate, you say to yourself, okay, so I know that sugar is a problem, but how do I resist when my motto for a good part of my life has been, whatever the question, the answer is chocolate or sugar, okay? Hmm, what are we going to do? So I got to tell you, in our house at Christmas time, and it's probably the same darn thing at yours, like Amy makes this addictive caramel popcorn, poppycock we call it. You know, she gets this popcorn, she pours this sugary stuff over it, and I got to tell you, like, this is incredibly good, and it's hard to put down, and she makes these huge white Tupperware bowls full of this stuff. Like we're buying butter and sugar and popcorn by the truckloads at Christmas time. And it's just, it's hard to resist that. You know, we're giving this away to neighbors and friends and family and, and it's sitting on the table and it's hard to resist, you know, not picking out of that a little bit of, you know, a little bit of the time. So that's one thing Then I think, okay, my mother-in-law makes these wonderful homemade chocolates. They're great. I love them. But again, more sugar. This Christmas, our oldest daughter, Julie, her friend went to Hawaii, came back and brought like a stack of those Hawaiian chocolates that are absolutely incredible. We got more chocolate. There's like, in our house, we've got this big tray that we keep in the middle of the kitchen table. And it's got like homemade sugar cookies. It's got uh, that poppycock is in there as well. We got jujubes. We got, you know, and then I think about the gingerbread houses that we make as a tradition every year in our house. So we're using like sugar to um, uh, decorate our gingerbread houses. Like we've got M&M shingles. We've got Smarties for stucco siding. We've got icing sugar as the mortar to keep this baby together. You know, we've got these little packages of rockets that we open up and put those all over the house and they can be used as the siding or the shingles or wherever, maybe even the sidewalk. Like this is a wonderland for anybody who loves sugar. It's like something out of a storybook. But the part that the bad thing about it all is that I know for me, and I'm guessing for you, although you may have not known it, it's nasty when it comes to our mental health. I just need to throw in a quick word, too, for something that I love, not only at Christmas time, but any time of the year, It which is, for me, a ginormous Texas-size banana split, homemade. So we're talking the vanilla ice cream, the banana. I like to put these little mini marshmallows on mine, sometimes chocolate chips, and always chocolate 
sauce. And I got to tell you, it tastes pretty darn good. I'm almost addicted. I'll admit that. But it just tastes so good. And it's funny because at Christmas time, our new daughter-in-law was here. She is a sweetheart. And she says, oh, Dave, I see you're having another bowl of diabetes. (laughs) So no, for me, actually, I don't struggle with diabetes. But what I was really having was a bowl of anti-mental health goodness. Okay, but you know what? This is kind of part of life, right? In our society, in our, anyways, our Western culture, that's what we do. We celebrate Christmas and we have a whole lot of sugar. Why that is, I'm not sure exactly, but for some reason, that's how it goes. So here's the problem that I have that I'm thinking you might too. Let's ask ourselves the question. How do we resist? How do we do this when we can draw a correlation between the sugar we're eating and the mental health challenges we are experiencing? Okay, so I oftentimes, when I come up against difficult situations like this, right? I mean, we're talking sugar, chocolate, bowls, uh, you know, like Texas-sized banana splits, Amy's caramel popcorn. Like, this is big stuff. What do we do? Okay? I have realized we got to put some logic on this problem. We got to be able to logically think through this and how we're going to break this sugar cycle. So I found this article This is from Healthline.com back in February of last year. So it's about a year old. um, Timothy Legg, PhD, he's the one that reviewed it, written by Kimberly Holland. It's called The Connection Between Sugar and Depression. How does sugar affect your mood? And I'm going to add anxiety in there as my personal opinion as well. Okay, so I just want to read this for you. Food can have many effects on your mood and emotions. When you're hungry and you want food, you can be grumpy, upset, or even angry. Hangry? Right? I heard that one before. When you've had a delicious meal, you may feel elated and euphoric. I got to tell you, I feel like that after some meals. The food you eat can also have long-term implications for your health. Specifically, eating too much sugar may increase your risk for mood disorders, including depression. Okay, so what do we do? Sugars, she's going to explain a little bit more about this. Sugars occur naturally in complex complex carbohydrates like fruits, vegetables, and grains. It's also present in simple refined foods like pasta, cakes, baked goods, bread, soda, and candy. The typical American diet relies heavily on these easily digestible carbs and includes far too few far too few complex carbs derived from healthier sources. Again, this is this article, not me talking, although I totally agree with everything we're going through here. Okay, so back to the article. Eating too many simple sugars 
may increase your risk for depression, mood disorders, and several chronic health issues. Okay, so we're going to get into number one, refined carbohydrates linked to depression. Researchers in London discovered that a diet rich in whole foods like fruits, vegetables, and fish can lower your risk for depression in middle age. I would add, I really think it's all ages. According to their study, people who ate processed foods like sweetened desserts, fried foods, and processed meats were more likely to be diagnosed with depression than people who largely relied on unprocessed whole foods. You already know that you should eat plenty of fruits, vegetables, and fish for heart and brain health and to help ward off chronic diseases. Now you can pile your plate with plants in order to keep depression at bay. Second thing, sugar linked to inflammation, which is linked to depression. Okay, so this is interesting. A diet that is high in fruits and vegetables may reduce inflammation in your body's tissues, whereas a diet that is high in refined carbs may promote inflammation. Chronic inflammation is linked to several health conditions, including metabolic disorder, cancer, and asthma. Inflammation may also be linked to depression, according to one study. Many of the symptoms of inflammation are also common with depression, such as loss of appetite, loss of appetite changes in sleep patterns, heightened perceptions of pain. That's why depression may be an underlying sign of inflammation problems. Okay, and of course you can talk to your doctor if you figure that might be the case for you. Re okay, so next one. Researchers are so... Con okay, so sorry. This is... The subhead is insulin may help treat depression. Researchers are so confident that depression can be linked to sugar intake, and I would add anxiety as well to some degree. Okay, so this is back to the article. Researchers are so confident that depression can be linked to sugar intake that they've studied using insulin to treat it. In one study, researchers found that people with both major depression and insulin resistance showed improvement in their depression symptoms when they were given medication to treat diabetes for 12 weeks. The effect was particularly strong in younger study participants. More research is needed before doctors can begin prescribing insulin or other diabetes medication for people with depression. However, talk to your doctor about new research and alternative treatment options. Next one, men are at greater risk for sugar's effects. This is certainly true in, I don't know, just when I compare Amy and myself. Men may be more susceptible to the mental health effects of sugar than women. In one study, researchers found that men who ate 67 grams of sugar or more per day were 23% more likely to have depression after five years. Men who ate 40 grams of sugar or less had a lower risk of depression. Interesting. 
The American Heart Association recommends adults eat no more than 25, in the case of women, to 36, in the case of men, grams, so 25 to 36 grams, of added sugar every day. Again, I'm reading from this article, Not this is not just Dave Miller, although I agree with what they're saying. I totally love this stuff. More than 82% of Americans exceed that daily recommendation. That's because sugar can quickly add up. Okay, for example, one 12-ounce can of soda has about 39 grams of sugar, which exceeds the recommended daily amount of added sugar. According to the CDC, men also eat more calories from sugar in a day than women. So they suggest read labels carefully to spot hidden sugar or just give up drinking soda. That's Dave Miller putting in my own thing here, but it's tough to do. Okay, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay, back to the article. Just because something is savory like a sauce or healthy like yogurt doesn't mean there isn't any added sugar. I find yogurt can be nasty for me. Okay, and then the last one, this could maybe like blow your mind. Sugar is more addictive than, wait for it, cocaine. I want to read that again. Sugar is more addictive than cocaine. Whoa. Okay. Let's find out more about this. Let's read this. Okay, here we go. A study done in rats found that the brain's sweet receptors are not adapted to constant and high levels of sugar. This intense sweetness can stimulate the brain's reward center and may be more pleasurable than cocaine, even in people with a drug addiction. So those, I mean, this is what they're saying here. So somebody who is addicted to cocaine, which would be a very difficult. I just heard a podcast this morning about this. Dr. Caroline Leaf. I totally suggest checking it out. Podcast name was The School of Greatness. She has her own podcast as well called Cleaning Up Your Mental Health Mess. Two totally great podcasts. Dr. Caroline Leaf. But she was talking about somebody that she had been speaking to that was addicted to cocaine. That has got to be such a difficult thing. But imagine talking to someone with an addiction to cocaine and then offering them their most favorite sugary treat and then asking, what would you rather have? I don't know. According to what I'm reading here, they may say, you know what? I'll take the donut. So that's amazing to me that such a strong drug as like cocaine could be replaced in terms of the amount of pleasure by sugar. Okay, in other words, okay, so this is what it says back to the article. In other words, the high from sugar is stronger than the high from cocaine. I'm going to read that one more time. In other words... The high from sugar is stronger than the high from cocaine. Your self-control mechanisms are no match for sugar's strength. 
Okay, want a break? I'm still in the article here. Want to break your addiction to sugar? Sugar is everywhere from drinks and sauces to soups and sandwiches. Look for places sugar hides. I like how they put that. Look for places sugar hides in your daily diet and create strategies to slowly cut back. As you eliminate sugar, your palate will adjust and you won't need as much sugar to reach satisfaction. And I have to tell you, it's true. In my own life, I have found that to definitely be true. Okay, so we said we wanted to kind of like put some logic on this question. Like, how do we deal with this pretty, like, I think universally common problem of our love affair with sugar? And I know in our Western Western culture anyways, like we're talking society promotes the use of sugar in a huge way. So what do we do? It's everywhere. Let's figure this out. Okay, I want to read to you from a wonderful book. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Well, I think it is a wonderful book, but it's my own book. This is The Mentally Ill Mentor Book, Practical Principles for Achieving and Maintaining Balance in Your Life. And it's by me, David Grant Miller. My full name is on the front. Uh, Okay, so page 246. I've got a little bit in here about sugar. What the experts say. Um, Okay, so I'm going to start here. In her book, The Sugar Addict's Total Recovery Program, which, by the way, is a really good book, best-selling author Dr. Kathleen de Maisons explains, quote, If you are sugar-sensitive and your meals are erratic, if you skip breakfast, eat lots of sweet things, drink quarts of diet soda, or eat pounds of pasta and bread, then you will be depressed, moody, erratic, volatile, forgetful, and impulsive. Let me just read that again. Then you will be, so basically, if you haven't too much sugar, you will be depressed, moody, erratic, volatile, forgetful, and impulsive, unquote. That was Dr. Kathleen de Maison's Sugar Addict's Total Recovery Program. It's a best-selling book. So this is my words in my own book. As someone who lived through all of those symptoms, I can attest to the truth of what Dr. DeMaisons writes. This has really been, so this is out of the book now. This is me again talking. This has really been true in my own life. And I know, I talk about earlier in the book here in the sugar section, where for like the first, I think it was seven years of my marriage to Amy, we would go to our parents' houses um, and enjoy Christmas with them and all the visiting and everything. And I didn't really know it, but here I am on this like, sugar high. And then the sugar would be gone. We'd be driving home and it would be like, I realized that I was not a super nice person to be with. And like, I feel guilty about that. I, 
could be pretty nasty to be with. And I could feel this anger inside me and this irritability. And I don't recall forgetfulness, although maybe I just forgot. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I got to tell you, this is true. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, hmm, I wonder, could this be me? There's a great way to test this out. And a great thing that you can do if you're dealing with depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, it may be that you're actually using sugar as one of your methods to cope. Now, I want to be real clear in the way that I talk about this because one of my sister-in-laws has a theory and I kind of actually agree with it. We disagree on a number of things, even though we love each other very much. But one of the things I really agree with her, especially when it comes to sugar on, is there are worse things that people can be doing to deal with uh, emotional and mental health. So there are people who do turn to things like cocaine, as we discussed earlier, to try and numb those feelings and the pain, the emotional pain that they've got, and to try and ignore it and and to get it to go away. We know, of course, there's millions of alcoholics in the world, and they're trying to use alcohol to numb that emotional pain, to get that depression to go away, thoughts of suicide, whatever it may be. There's all kinds of different ways that are like extremely unhealthy. So in talking about sugar, I I guess I kind of want to put a disclaimer on it that if the way that you deal with your mental health challenges is only through sugar and you're staying away from some of the nasty stuff that's not going to destroy your life and have significant negative effects um, to all aspects of who you are and and what you're about, then um, I guess it's still important, I feel, to work on your relationship with sugar. But I I just want to put it into perspective that there's definitely worse ways of coping than shoving down emotional pain with sugar. Having said that, I am guessing that if you are coping just through sugar, you are at a point where you have the ability right now, well, anybody has the ability, but you've got a certain opportunity because you're not dealing with a hardcore addiction um, that's maybe ruining your life uh, like cocaine would be, um, and you have an opportunity to adjust that and to make things better, and it doesn't really take that much. So we talked before about it being as addictive as cocaine, potentially, but as far as the ability to withdraw from this addiction, much easier. Okay, let's get back to the book. Page 247 at the bottom gives, here's the headline, helpful tips to improve your relationship with sugar. There's four easy things, and I'm going to leave you with this as your homework. Number one, do a quick and easy self-analysis. So this is me talking in my book, The Mentally Ill Mentor. You can get it on Amazon if you want. 
Do a quick and easy. So this number one under helpful tips to improve your relationship with sugar. Do a quick and easy self-analysis for one week. Record everything you eat that you consider junk due to its high levels of refined sugar. Okay, so this could be, we love getting Slurpees down at the store here. And, you know, our kids love Slurpees, chocolate bars, uh, cookies. I love my bowl of diabetes, my banana splits, you know, piled sky high with uh, vanilla ice cream and these mini marshmallows. Whatever it is for you, chocolate doesn't matter. You know, we all know what sugary junk we're we're kind of battling with or that we have this wonderful love-hate relationship with. But just do a self-analysis for a week. Just keep eating the way that you would normally eat this food or this junk and just make a note of it in a journal or on your phone, whatever. Number two, once you have determined the level of your weekly sugar intake, set a realistic goal to lower it. So just like the article, you don't want to cut yourself off here. Here's what I write in the book. While you may prefer to go cold turkey, it may be easier to cut back little by little. So this is going to go a little according to your personality, but if you're really kind of hooked on sugar, if that love affair has been going on for a long time, it's going to be tough just to go, okay, let's cut her off. Done. It's going to be a lot easier to scale back. Number three, to cut back on your sugar intake, start by eliminating just one major source of sugar, such as a chocolate bar every second day. Okay, and we're all different as far as what we're going to have for sugar, but for you, it may be a chocolate bar. Have it every second day rather than every day. As you do this, continue to analyze the other sources of sugar in your diet. Number four, as you become accustomed to living with less sugar, increase the rate at which you lower your sugar intake. Continue doing this until eating sugary foods and snacks is the exception to the rule. However, don't go so far as to get a sugar divorce. Although, okay, so I'm reading again from my book. This, I guess it's my words, but it's in the book here. Although completely severing your relationship with sugar may seem like a good idea right now, you will probably regret it later because doing so can often lead to frustration binging, and a promise to never go off sugar again. So allow yourself to have a little sugar once in a while. And this is weeks and months down the road. So here's the last paragraph of this chapter. By cutting down on your sugar intake, you may feel as if you are depriving yourself of one of the great things in life. I certainly do at Christmas time. Okay? Back to the book. If you do have these feelings, just keep in mind that achieving and sustaining lifelong mental wellness comes with a price. And it will be well worth the sacrifice. And can I just tell you? Okay, so that's the end. Unquote. That's the end of the book. 
um, the excerpt from the book. But I got to tell you, it is so true. When I finally made this correlation for myself with sugar and I realized, okay, the anger, the irritability, the depression, all these things, this is kind of adding to it. Man, now you can take control because you kind of know a little bit about what's going on. And of course, there are all kinds of other factors that contribute to these things, of which sugar is, maybe in comparison, a relatively small part. However, why not do this type of thing? You know, lowering your sugar intake, why not engage in this activity to give you some more quick wins? These little things that really, when you do a lot of them, add up and become very powerful. So I have seen it work in my own life. We've read about it. We've put a ton of logic on it. It's true. So think about your relationship with sugar. And my challenge for you and the homework that I want to leave with you before we finish today is again, number one, just for one week, don't alter the way that you deal with sugar. Just record how you deal with sugar, your relationship with sugar, how often you visit together, how often you, you know, uh, have your chocolate bar, your chocolate milk, your soda, whatever it might be. Just record that for a week. Number two, after that first week, set a realistic goal based on what you've recorded to lower your sugar intake, but just a little bit. You don't want your body to go into a state of, ah, what am I going to do? And that can happen. So you want to make this kind of a slow but sure type of thing. Okay, number three, start by eliminating just one major source. So maybe, I don't know what it might be, maybe you have a can of soda every day. So you could say, well, I'm going to only have half a can. I'm going to dump the rest down the drain. Maybe you don't want to waste that because you just spent money on it. So maybe you're only going to have one can every two days. I don't know. Whatever it might be for you and whatever works for you in your situation. Number four, over several weeks and months, increase the rate at which you decrease your sugar intake. I got to tell you from personal experience, this is so darn cool. It works. Try it out. You will find a major difference in how you feel. And you're just going to be loving life all that much more. And you'll feel the positive impact that this has on your mental health. It's so cool. So I want to leave that with you. And that's about it. That's all the time we have together today to talk about chocolate, whatever the question, the answer is chocolate and sugar and all that stuff. But before I go, I just want to leave you with a disclaimer. Like I always talk about, this podcast officially is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or treatment. And if you or someone you love needs more information on mental health resources, please check out helpguide.org. Very cool website. Um, with that disclaimer out of the way, if you love this podcast, and I got to tell you, I love talking to you, would 
If you love this, would you please, I'd love for you to officially subscribe, uh, rate the podcast, take 30 seconds, leave a review. It just helps more people find it. And you know what? It also helps me to continue producing this show. And if you've loved what you've heard, I'd love for you to share it with even just one or two other people that you know that it could help. And lastly, um, if you're a book lover or you know someone who is, um, I'd love for you to check out my self-help book on Amazon, the one I was just reading from. The full name of it is The Mentally Ill Mentor, Practical Principles for Achieving and Maintaining Balance in Your Life by me, David Grant Miller. So yeah, if you want to, feel free to check that out on Amazon. And uh, that's about all we've got for this week. Thank you so much again for taking the time to be here with me. I'm just so excited to talk to you every week and again next week. I'm looking forward to that. But before I go, as we always do, I just want to invite you to picture me there with you in your mind, wherever you are, and imagine that I'm giving you just the biggest Canadian bear hug. And while I'm doing this, I'm telling you, I love you. I believe in you. You have got this. Take it from someone who knows how you feel. Things will get better. Hang in there. You'll be so happy you did. I love you. Until next time. Bye-bye.